0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista. And now here's your host, Serena Bird.
1: This podcast is sponsored by 4Data, a Canberra based company that is committed to ensuring business owners have reliable and professional IT services. I'm a client of 4Data, I use their website hosting services. And I'm also reducing my email spam with their secure email hosting service. As a special offer to the joyful Frugalista podcast listeners, 4Data will provide, wherever you are, website hosting at $12 a month and up to two hours initial free migration service, valued at $300. Find them online at number4data.com.au 4Data. They fix IT. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have not one, but two very fabulous guests, very fabulous frugal guests, and they are Sarah and Laura. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having
2: us. We're really happy
1: to be here. Oh, well, it really, the honour is mine. I'm so excited, and I've been a big fan of your work for some time, and it's only recently that I've realised you are also foodies, so I'm doubly a fan of your work now. Sarah and Laura, they write at Keeping It Frugal and they are also the stars behind Wonder Cooks, that's W-A-N-D-E-R, Cooks. In 2015, they've got quite an interesting story of having quit their jobs, sold their houses and possessions and gone off travelling the world. And you've been to quite some interesting places. Yeah, um,
2: we started going through Asia first, so uh, in Singapore and Japan and Taiwan, and then we ended up finding a very cheap flight uh, over to Paris and ended up going wave, waving our way through Europe and then eventually ending up back over into Asia and then making our way down as uh, Indonesia was our last stop and then back into Australia. And so, yeah, that was over the period of uh, a year and it, it was really
1: fantastic. <laughs> And that's something I guess a lot of people just dream of, don't they? And they dream of and they never do.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we feel really fortunate to have been able to create this experience for us, you know, especially given the light of what's happened over the last year, having had those travel experiences, we feel very grateful Mm -hmm. for. I think as well, we definitely put in
2: the time to organise it the year before so that, you know, we made sure that it happened and had that as our ultimate goal and then just (laughs) took off without really organising a lot while we were over there. But
3: yeah it all worked out end. so So we kind of had a plan for the first three three months i think of the trip we knew we were going to stay with some friends for the first couple of weeks just to kind of get ourselves ready build up the confidence i think and then venture off on our own and then after that we would kind of take advantage of those really cool flights that we would find or take advantage of being able to stay with people through couch surfing and just the trip kind of built itself as we went along we had a kind of idea of the kind of cool scene, scenery or sites that we would want to go see and then, uh, yeah, let it kind of happen naturally after that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. And obviously I'm assuming being frugal you budgeted for this. How did what you planned for this is the reality? How did that compare? I think we ended up saving
2: about $30,000 each mm-hmm. and uh, our main goal was that we wanted to come back with savings. So I took care of the budget. We ended up coming in at I think it was about 32000 for like combined for the year of travel. And that for us was fantastic because then we only spent just over half of our savings and then kind of were able to come back with a little bit to start off with. And funnily enough, I thought that Europe would be a lot more expensive, but what happened was it was a lot easier to couch surf in Europe. So we ended up not spending as much on accommodation. So they were almost around the same price in terms of, you know, your daily budget that we ended up spending. So yeah, that was really interesting.
1: Wow. That is um, fascinating because, you know, often people will spend pretty much what you save just on a few weeks in Europe. By the time you've got the the plane trip over there, you've got uh, hotels, you've got nice eating out, all the touristy things. Like most people say that Europe is not an a cheap place to, not a frugal place to travel in. I agree, and especially
2: with some of the exchange rates that we had. Uh, say when we were in Scotland, pound uh, was double. You know the the Australian dollar. So mm. you had to think about, oh, you know, well, you might find a cheap place for sixty pounds a night, but that's still one hundred and twenty dollars a night for accommodation, which really started to add up. So uh, luckily for us, you know, we did
3: only, I think,
1: one night. One we paid for
3: one night.
2: And that, that was, was
1: a two-week 2 week trip two weeks through
3: her. Scotland. Mm-hmm. And that was my birthday. <laughs> 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 so
1: you wanted to go somewhere nice. Yeah. Oh, it was still only $60. <laughs> it, was, it
3: was. 60 pounds. Yeah. under $20. And that was at a bed and breakfast. And it was so cute because it was, it was just like this little cottage place and the owner, he knew that it was my birthday. And so in the morning, he, his mum had baked these muffins. So he brought this muffin in with a candle and then treated us to breakfast and everything. So, yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was really yeah. lovely.
1: <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. Now, I've never actually done couch surfing before. I've heard a lot of people who've done it. But how does it work for those who, who have never done it before like me? Yeah,
2: it's, it's quite easy. So you treat it like, almost like Facebook, you know, you kind of search for where you're going. Oh, sorry, like an Airbnb. It's very similar to that in where which you search for the area that you're going and it will come up with a, a list of people um, that live there and are available at that the same date. And then um, you can actually read their profile. And so because we were obviously there to do a lot of cooking and learn as much as we could about the culture. We'd often look for people who were either well-traveled or who loved food as well because we knew that we'd um, have some similarities to, um, you know, kind of get along. So we'd send them an email and uh, often say that we were Sarah and Laura and we were there to cook surf, not couch surf. So we would often <laughs> cook a dish from um, our country um, and then they would then share um, a dish from theirs, and so that was a really great way to just kind of bond together and learn about each other's cultures over, you know, a meal, and that that really meant a lot, I think.
3: Yeah, and it was a great way to reciprocate. I think the goodwill of someone opening up their home to us, you know, being able to share some cooking with them and and share our time with them meant so much more than some people who may choose to couch surf where they don't interact with the host. And mm. look, to be honest, that's totally fine as well, uh, I believe. But mm. we really really sought that connection while we were traveling and it did bring us a lot of joy
2: (laughs) I think that's one of the biggest differences between Airbnb and couch surfing is that you do spend a lot more time with the host in some situations where you know you might end up going out together for lunches and dinners and um, spending a lot more time with them whereas sometimes with Airbnb it's just expected that you stay in the room and then you they're either not there at
3: all or it's very minimal contact. So that was one big difference. Mm. And sometimes we would actually pick accordingly. So we would go through a skin cap surfing and then we might book a hotel or an Airbnb just to have a bit of time to ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just to balance it out a yeah. little bit.
1: <laughs> it is important as well. I know. So, home cooking, how different is home cooking from restaurant food? What were some of the insights you gleaned from eating across so many different cuisines?
2: Um, for me, I think it was the simplicity. I think a lot of times people, uh, you build it up in your head that, you know, a lot of these different cuisines, um, especially when you do out at a restaurant, they're so fancy and, you know, they have all these mm. uh, really hard to find ingredients. And often when we've started making these things at home um, or with our couch surfing friends, they uh, say in Italy... We were making pizza and um, the lady that we were staying with just grabs a can of tomato. She's like, this is what
1: I put on my pizza. And
3: we're like, what? There's no fancy sauce or, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. Just a perfect process. tin tomato. That's it. <laughs> That's
1: it. Nothing
3: else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a celebration, I think, of the original ingredients as well, you mm-hmm. know, like not overcomplicating it with too much. So.
2: I, I think that the one thing they did like though was with the tomatoes, they would add a little bit of garlic. And then just olive oil over everything. Just what are we cooking? Doesn't matter. Just pop some olive oil on (laughs) it and it will taste fantastic.
1: (laughs) And of course, Australia has some of the best quality olive oil in the world, doesn't it? Oh, yeah,
2: definitely. I was going to say, yeah, um, it was on par with, I think, what we had in in Italy. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Fabulous. And are you frugal foodies? When you cook for yourselves at home, now that you're back, are, are you frugal foodies or are you extravagant foodies?
3: Well, I would say that we are frugal foodies and that we do love to cook at home and, and oftentimes we'll be presented with the opportunity to go to a restaurant or you know, we might we may just want to have this beautiful meal and then we'll think, oh no, we can cook that for a fraction of the
1: price at home. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a curse, isn't it? It's a blessing yeah. and it's a curse. <laughs> I had a, a lovely dinner out with some fabulous foodies in here in Canberra recently. We're all part of a, a closed Facebook group mm-hmm. and we were all talking about how brunches are really quite challenging for us because you go out to brunch and we're all sitting there going, yeah, but we can make scrambled eggs, we can poach <laughs> eggs, we can fry bacon. Like there's nothing that's sort of new or different from that experience.
3: Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of Korean food as well that I think, you know,
1: it, uh,
3: in our city it has a huge price tag when you try and get it from a restaurant, but the ingredients cost $5 or something to make their equivalent dish at home. And it doesn't take all that long either. So, That's yeah. it. So when you do see the price tag of, you know, $45. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so I think a lot of times we do cook what people would say would maybe be extravagantly because we are cooking Korean or Japanese. Essentially, they are very cheap ingredients when you do know what goes into them. So in that sense, we are also frugal. But the the end result and the food itself is fantastic and so delicious that yeah you really don't feel like you're eating what some people may assume is frugal food it's not beans and it's not (laughs) magic noodles although we do like (laughs) 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 meagering.
1: my kids love meagering. my kids love the they're very particular they just want the ones with the packet with the the egg on it and the jumbo writing and they would quite happily live on that but of course they don't or often that we have other things as well but yeah so I hear you you can actually do a lot of really creative things with a humble packet of instant noodles. A lot of MSG and salt in there, obviously, but you can do a lot.
2: Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And I
1: hear you with Japanese homestyle cooking, having had a lot of Japanese students stay with us over the years, you know what they actually cook, and yeah, just what they like is actually quite different a lot of the time. It's we tend to think that they eat sashimi and sushi all the time but they're like special foods aren't they it's not an everyday thing
2: yeah that's it i think especially when we stayed you know rice is is a core component of a lot of dishes but it is often just the side dish or it's not the, the star of the dish or star of the meal sorry and i think uh, in particular when we were staying with friends of ours in kagoshima you know we would often have some sort of flavored rice in the morning but it would always always be accompanied by a miso soup or we would often have like just small dishes of say some chicken or fish um, yeah yeah so that was that was really
3: nice Mm
1: -hmm. reminds me of my time in taiwan i think my first morning waking up staying with a taiwanese homestay family and i still it's the most delicious thing to me although it sounds odd to i guess a lot of australian palates but some steamed fresh silken tofu with a particular brand of Heido, uh, black beans, salted black beans on top. Was so nice with a fried bread stick and freshly steamed rice. So nice. Actually, I think it was
2: in Singapore that we also fell in love with tofu. We would often go to the hawker markets in the morning and get the hot, hot tofu with the um, sweet sauce on top. And, oh, wow, that was just magnificent. Yeah. Like I became addicted to it <laughs> for yeah. breakfast. And, and,
3: and the congee, the savoury congee mm-hmm. with all the vegetables and the mackerel. Um, yes. I'm, I'd never had things like that for breakfast before. And the fact that you could go down to the Hawker market and get a bowl of that for 40 cents equivalent, yeah. I'm not sure. It felt very cheap
1: at the time. Oh, it's just amazing. Oh. Where, where I lived in ta- Taiwan and southern Taiwan, the first time I was in Taiwan, This is going back a long time ago now. I think I arrived in September 1997 and I was there for nearly a year. But the local delicacy was a type of what they think they call um, milkfish. So it's a particularly bony fish, but it makes a really good congee. Mm -hmm. And so it would be delivered pretty much Mm -hmm. pre-dawn and it would be made for breakfast. And once again, not expensive, but this beautiful milkfish congee with fresh oysters in it.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And totally, uh, totally different to a, a total contrast to a bowl of cornflakes, or, <laughs> or
1: I know cold milk. It. They just can't quite fathom it. They yeah. just, it's just a completely different thing, isn't it? But yeah, you can make once you understand that people in different cultures aren't living on what we see in restaurants every day of the week. I think it's quite liberating, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um,
2: even actually, when you mentioned sushi before, I think learning how they do have sushi at home in comparison to going out to a sushi restaurant and how different that was that usually um it's called mucky maki, maki sushi and it's more of a um kind of like a celebration or you know you get, have friends around you just have a big platter in the middle and everyone just hand wraps it it doesn't look pretty but it tastes exactly the same you know they don't use the bamboo mats or anything like that so it was great. So a down to earth way eat. It. Yeah, it's a lot more, you know, there's chatter going on, there's hands going everywhere. <laughs> it's a lot more of a, yeah, a celebration of family and friends and um, conversation rather than just, yeah, little pieces so of surreal. That's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, celebration food is just so beautiful. So mm-hmm. I hear you. And, you know, it's kind of different. I think in Australia when we do things, we, I'm realising how much we eat, like how much we eat and how much we drink you know there's just so many desserts so much food so much much much
0: mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't
1: need to
2: be that much <laughs> yeah the traditions are there I know and then the day comes and you're like I did it again <laughs>
3: <laughs> well I haven't oh, I was gonna say my downfall is always when I say to myself I'll just have a little bit of everything and
1: then your plate is full Well, that's it too. I like trying different things when I Mm -hmm. go to things like buffets, and there might be a while until we go back to traditional buffets now because Mm -hmm. of the the health concerns. But yeah, it's really challenging because I want to try a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hard to know where to stop. So I also wanted to congratulate you two lovely ladies on your wedding last year. And I've seen your Instagram photos, particularly your beautiful one with your matching dresses and matching denim jackets. Just absolutely gorgeous.
2: Thank, Thank you so you. much. <laughs> yeah, the denim jackets were actually from our mum. So it was a last minute thing that we ended up scraping together and. Both of our mums had these denim jackets that fit both of us and went with each of our dresses. So it just happened to be, yeah, perfect for the day. (laughs) And it was a nice, it was something
3: borrowed and something blue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought of denim being blue. You're right, borrowed and blue and very trendy, very on trend with the the fashionista theme. And Mm -hmm. can I ask, was it a frugal wedding?
2: It was, yes. I think so our budget for the whole wedding was $10,000, which is still... A lot in some people's eyes but for us a quarter of that ended up being just the photography which is what meant the most to us so we put the value where we wanted it and then everything else is where we borrowed we made it ourselves or In my case, I found my dress for $99 on clearance accidentally and it was great.
1: (laughs) So your dress, I mean, having been remarried myself about two years ago, oh, the dress, you can spend a whole lifetime just looking at the different dresses and the different options. So where did you manage to find a $99 dress on clearance sale? Lucky, luck, I don't know. So I was on
2: Facebook and I was looking at different bridal uh, stores just to have a look at different styles. This one lady had put up this dress and said, look, it's a size eight. It's on clearance. It's the last one. And it was kind of like a Greek or like a Grecian style wedding, wedding dress, which is the style that I wanted. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm going to fit in the size eight, but look, let's just go there. Have a look, try it on. Yeah. So we went around there. I tried it on it fit perfectly. And she said, the reason why it was going so cheap is because she was actually moving into plus size. 14 plus dresses and was just trying to get rid of all her small size stock. So it really was just really lucky that I
3: happened to see it and it fit it perfectly.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> in store, I was able to find my dress as well and uh, that one was a little more expensive, but it was still only $300. To get both dresses for $400 and then added a little bit on for the alterations that were required, yeah. it came in maybe $700 for both all that. Yeah which we thought was a pretty good deal.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, some people literally, as you know, spent thousands. Mm.
3: Yeah, and these were brand-new dresses. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, we did
2: actually. So we did go to op shops having a look for a second-hand dress because we did want to try it and be as frugal as possible with them. And we just found that a lot of them were unfortunately very 70s, very puffy mm-hmm. and completely not what would suit our style. <laughs> so uh, I was really thankful that we did still end up finding a couple of dresses that did suit what we were after.
1: Yeah, it's a hard thing. It's like op shops, you often find the unexpected things when you're not looking for it. When you're looking for something particular, it's a lot yes. harder. I was also really wanted to find an op shop dress for our wedding when mm-hmm. it didn't happen. And in my case, I didn't want to wear white because it was the second wedding. I really wanted to wear cream. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want a big princessy pink dress because mm-hmm. I'm like, really? Like, you know, I'm I'm forty 48 now, so I was 46 then. Like, it's just weird, you know, like every yeah. living my teenage years, like, you know, like I'm a mature woman. So, you know, like it needed to reflect who I was. Yeah. And it was actually really hard to find. And in the end, I was on a work trip to Antwerp. I know, right? It's weird. <laughs> and hubby came with me and I was in a, a meeting discussing some really technical things that was a little bit boring, to be honest. And he messaged me and says, I found a wedding shop. And I went, What? And it was like two blocks or, you know, about a block away from our hotel. And it wasn't yeah. actually a really glamorous one. Like, you know, Antwerp is quite renowned for being a fashion capital. It wasn't one of those. <laughs> it was, it was um, yeah, it was really interesting. And right, like, in the back of this funny, cheap kind of bridal Formal dress. There mm-hmm. was the dream dress. It was wow. quite amazing. So then we had to bring it all the way back to Australia. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't know if you've ever transported dresses, but they're not easy. But it, it worked. Okay. It was hard enough putting it in the car, so let alone the plane. <laughs> <it'd> be <laughs> anyway, but that was the dress. Yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't the sort of. I mean, it was still. It was still very cheap. I'm trying to think from memory. It was about 150 euros. Oh, fantastic! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So it wasn't horrific. And it was exactly what I want. And actually this year I lent it to or gave it to someone else who got married in my dress.
0: That's oh, so was part that of
1: my too. joyful giving, uh, she was had a COVID wedding about mid-year, I think it was about June, mm-hmm. and she bought another dress online and she came to see me to borrow some shoes and some accessories. So she's been yeah. to some of my clothes swaps and we used to work together and we've got similar tastes in fashion. We're about a similar age, we're about a similar height, we're about similar curvy, curviness. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't you just take my dress? And she said, no, it's not going to fit me. And no, I don't think I could. And I said, just take it, try it on, just do this. And she was, we both sort of had 1950s style themes with both of our weddings, just coincidentally. Anyway, the next thing I saw these photos, someone sent me these photos. And coincidentally, another friend who I knew in common was conducted the wedding. So she was the celebrant. And I didn't realize that. So she sent me photos and it fitted her perfectly. And it was just gorgeous. Oh, that's uh, yeah so it's it's just amazing sometimes how things yeah they just oh, go around yeah. yeah yeah
2: in terms of other frugal things with the wedding we also found say our wishing well was this old light that was down the back of mum and dad's backyard that they <laughs> found and it's like
3: a storm lantern or something it's mm-hmm. about yay big and uh it is clear glass with this kind of mottled kind raw of iron patina yeah. around the outside mm-hmm. in the in the metal and we filled it with sparkly lights and a little bit of the chill left over from when my dress was altered yeah. and it looked stunning
1: <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah.
3: mm-hmm. I mean I think the biggest expense save would be simply the venue we were very fortunate that Sarah's parents have a beautiful house near the beach and it's that that old sort of would you call it Victorian style yeah i think so. i don't know <laughs> architecture but it looks beautiful and the backyard is gorgeous with these beautiful cedar trees and so we just had we had both the ceremony and the reception mm-hmm. in the backyard and it was stunning if i may say so my
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i've seen the photos or at least some of the photos not all of them but i've seen some of the photos and i can vouch for the fact that <laughs> it's stunning <laughs> And so this is something that, you know, in COVID obviously a lot of weddings have been either scaled back or Mm. postponed, but I'm anticipating next year there's probably going to be a lot more weddings happening. What would you say to people who are planning a wedding about how to have something stylish and yet reducing costs?
2: I think borrowing and asking is a really good way to go about a lot of the things, whether it's, yeah, asking To borrow someone's backyard, whether it's borrowing a denim jacket, Uh, I think just trying to find those things before going out and buying it, or before yeah paying the money for something, just to see if there's a creative way that you could go about what you want. And sometimes you end up finding the most yeah interesting ways Mm -hmm. to go about it instead. So once we organised the backyard, then with the food, instead of cooking, we ended up ended up getting some Malaysian food catered. (laughs) We just thought that was great. Like it could just it was um, these people that we found through um, our other business and it was a um, husband and wife team from Kuala Lumpur and they just had some fantastic dishes from their hometown that they brought over like satays and nasi goreng, I think, and a couple of other dishes. Yeah, and they
3: did um, crispy fried uh, dough.
2: Oh, the, the curry t- puffs. The
3: curry puffs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was somewhat concerned
1: about eating curry in a white dress but I survived <laughs> by that stage of the night you know like once all the photos are taken and the vows are done you're good anyway okay. <laughs> yeah. But I hear
3: you.
2: yeah but yeah
1: I think having you know not your average three-course meal
2: and instead just going with catering for you know a different cuisine was really fun and I think everyone else enjoyed having something a little bit different as well so yeah that was mm-hmm. that was Good tip.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think as well, um, you know, asking on whether it's wedding groups on Facebook or whether it's Buy Nothing groups, you can simply put the call out there and say, does anyone have X, Y, Z that I need? And, you know, at least you, you may get exactly what you're after mm-hmm. or, or you may get something similar that gets you to think outside the box a little bit yeah. with a new idea. So, um,
1: Well, yeah, I hear you. And, you know, I guess my own experience is we said to people, because it's a second wedding for both of us and we had a lot of stuff, so we didn't yeah. need stuff. So we're like, we want your presence. We don't want presents. But yeah. if you would like to contribute, if you'd like to bring a, a you know, a, a dish, or if you've got some unique skills that you want to, and I, un, I kid you not, because we had friends who were really good musicians, and oh,
0: wow. um,
1: our MC was the town crier in ACT and Queen and one of my husband's uncles had a horse and buggy. So like, we had, you know, oh. like some really unusual and amazing skill sets and we said to people if you'd like to contribute in some way you're welcome but like no pressure cuz not everyone like wants to feel yeah. like oh my gosh i you know I, I have to suddenly be creative at this wedding i <laughs> thought i'm just going to a wedding yeah. like there's no no pressure whatsoever but people really like being connected because yeah. I don't know about you, but the amount of weddings I've been to where I don't really know much about the bridal groom—they look beautiful, yeah. they look Instagram-worthy. In fact, you know, you know, it's going to be all over Instagram. But they're sitting there on the the dais at the front, and you're sort of sitting at the back, and mm. you don't—you're not really connected in any real way.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that was one thing I really enjoyed is that we had a small wedding, so it was 30 people of our closest friends and family. And I think having that number allowed us to kind of get around and be able to talk to everyone that we wanted to. And then it just felt a lot, I don't know, just closer. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we didn't
3: have a separate dais. We didn't really have a bridal party. So we were there in amongst all of our friends at the long tables that we organised. Mm. And that was the best part, I think, not feeling like totally separate from everyone but like being right there and uh, yeah. yeah, being surrounded. Yeah, because
2: I think originally we were, like, I'd put ourselves separate
1: and Laura's was like, why should we Yeah, separately? Let's sit <laughs> with our friends. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. It's yeah. a funny thing, isn't it? Because you often get so busy planning a wedding that you don't have time to catch up with people before the wedding or after because you're exhausted. But you're doing yeah. the wedding to catch up with people. Yeah. It's a weird thing to kind of get right.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. yeah, weddings can be exhausting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. I've done it twice. I'm quite happy now, hopefully. I don't have to do it again.
0: <laughs>
1: but anyway, moving forward, you have a great Frugal Millionaires series on your blog, and I know because you've interviewed me recently, for which I was really, yeah. really, really honoured. What are the kind of key themes and traits you're finding about Frugal Millionaires? What are the people you were talking to telling you about their pathway to wealth?
2: I think a lot of the time it's been about commitment and consistency. They've often been on this path for ten plus years. It it's not an overnight success. It's something that they have planned for and that they have continuously done from every single day for you know as long as they have, to then reach the goal. And having that goal in mind the whole time, you know, it's not changing. It's kind of this one focus that just keeps them on the same path. And so then eventually they get there. And I think that's the beauty of it is it's, it's not this rush. It's, you know, you do take your time. And as long as you have that goal in mind, you do get there in the end. I think as well, uh, one of the other aspects was not living a deprived life. So while they might be saving money and investing, they still put their money into areas that have the most value for them. And that was something that we've tried to do in our life as well, where we'll spend money on a photographer for your wedding, or you will spend money on certain types of food because that does bring you happiness and joy and allows you to enjoy the journey to become a millionaire and not just have that end goal as the be all and end all.
1: I can totally relate to that. I guess, you know, my own path it's been two steps forward, one step back sometimes. In the midst of all of this, I've had separation and divorce and I've got kids, my eldest is going to need some serious orthodontic work in 2021. That's <laughs> going to set us back a little bit. But if there'd be something wrong with me as a parent if I didn't pay for those, if we didn't do fun things like holidays as a family. So it's about balance, I think, sometimes
3: yeah definitely, and and mindset and also taking care of yourself along the way Mm -hmm. I think and I think kind of
1: like you said
2: it it is knowing that the path isn't going to be straight by any means (laughs) anything can happen but always having that one goal or kind of re-pivoting or readjusting to realign yourself to be able to get there is yeah it really helps I think for Mm -hmm. people to be
3: able to keep going yeah I think being flexible keeping a nest egg so that you're prepared for emergencies these kind of things they, they come up a lot in the stories that we've, mm-hmm. we've been fortunate enough to to yeah. receive I even like a lot of the I call them side benefits of
2: of a fire lifestyle or people who have become millionaires you know all these amazing other things come into your life whether that is you become more minimalist or you become more kind of socially conscious of, you know, the environment or just all these other benefits that kind of come as a result of learning more about what you want in life or how to invest and all these things kind of help along the way.
1: Yeah, I would agree because I think when you're in a financially secure position, you are able to make choices, like particularly people who aren't happy in their jobs. They suddenly look around and go, why am I working in this job where there's values that don't suit me? You know, this particular product's not helping the environment. I don't want to work for this anymore. I want to do something that has more passion and purpose for me. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And I think, yeah, it's hard when you want to kind of just jump and get to that end point where you do need to kind of Take your baby steps and work out little ways to get there, the kind of 1% every day. And it then eventually begins to add up until you get that fantastic compound interest working for work.
1: you. <laughs> oh, the miracle of compounding. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but also, I think the miracle
3: of reflection on where you started come along the way as well. Reflecting back to our journey when we first got back, we, we did have our savings, but we were renting. We'd given ourselves three weeks to start earning money with our other side business and, yeah, just just being there and then being now where we are five years down, six years down the track, it's, it's important to reflect on that and to celebrate those little achievements, those compounding
1: achievements along the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I hear you. I think in the first year you don't see much change. Mm. I think it's about five, year five you really start to go, wow. By about year two or three you start to see it. But it's year five, the five-year plan, you really go, wow, like I didn't even think that was possible. How did that happen? That's amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think as well it continuously then sparks that energy to keep going. And it's like you keep re-motivating yourself because you're seeing yourself hit all these little goals along the way that,
3: yeah, it just keeps propelling you forward further and further. Yeah, and that's exactly why I think it's important to reflect rather than just focusing, focusing on that end number all the time because it can
1: sometimes seem so far away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you are making progress
3: every day and you've just got to keep going.
1: That's it. Mm. Exactly. Now, one final question, ladies. And um, do you have a Frugalista tip or is it tips? Do you have different tips? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, I do have a tip. Get a library
1: card. <laughs> I have a library card. I've had one for <laughs> so years.
3: It's not only about borrowing books and reading up on all of the self-development or finance kind of strategies that we've learned along the way. And, you know, borrowing magazines or music and things like that. You can also, with the library card, have access to lynda.com courses for free. There's a wealth of things to learn on there, whether that's accounting and bookkeeping, through to marketing, through to learning graphic design programs. or learning about advertising on Facebook, that you can learn and upskill in so many different ways and you can do it all for free with a library card.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I didn't even know about that. I knew that my library had access to a number of language learning programs and I Mm -hmm. know that they had like a Netflix equivalent, but I didn't know about that. So I'm going to follow up with you to get those details to put in the show notes. Yes, Um, great.
2: (laughs) And I guess for my tip, I would probably say to almost find where... In your life, you can find more time because I think a lot of people always look to save money, but sometimes saving a little bit of time so that you have for yourself to go for a walk or to meditate for 15 minutes or just to find a little more space in your life can be just as rewarding and just as helpful for you than it can be to save $5. So that's my
1: little tip. They are both great tips. So thank you so much, ladies. So you can find Sarah and Laura at Keeping It Frugal, also on Instagram at Wonder Cooks. And Sarah is also a contributor to the Aussie Fire ebook that was produced by Perla that I am as well. And she has a great chapter in there about the long journey. So make sure to check it out in that. And I'll put those details in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.